Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Volume 705, Room to Move, for March 15th, 2016. Visit broadwaybullet.com and subscribe through iTunes or RSS and don't miss a single episode. In this episode, Kate Schindel gives a very candid talk into her new position as president of Actors' Equity. What changes might be needed down the line? Patrick Noonan discusses his career and long relationship with the comedy Sheer Madness, now off-Broadway in NYC. Matt Oaken discusses the challenges of acquiring a brand new space for Black Box Studios. We also hear two songs from the team, Kuman and Diamond, from their CD, Out of My Head. So buckle up. Special thanks to our location sponsor. Thanks to the Dramatist Guild Fund for welcoming us to their space for today's podcast. Providing the music hall at DGF for writers to use for free is one of the many ways the Dramatist Guild Fund supports writers. I encourage you to find out more about DGF by visiting their website at www.dgffund.org or connecting with them on Twitter at DGFund. A location sponsorship also goes out to the longest-running play in America, Sheer Madness, now finally in New York City at the New World Stages. Go check out this funny show that'll leave you laughing and guessing the entire way through. And no, that's not what they told me to say. I saw the show. Breaking the business. And back for her third time on the program. Joining an elite club who've been on that (laughs) that many times. I am sitting here with the lovely Kate Schindel who is many, many things, an <laughs> actress from Legally Blonde, among others, a former Miss America, mm-hmm. but there's brains behind that beauty, <laughs> and she is now the current youngest, I believe, pre- president of Actors' Equity. Yeah, I believe so. I, I'm, I would say 98.9% sure, at least certainly the youngest ever elected. There were a couple interim presidents, but I think that I don't think Equity's ever elected a president under 40 in 100 years, so 100 plus years. So I didn't ask anyone to vote for me because I was younger. I didn't expect that. I always kind of want people to like ideas and, you know, collaborative efforts and things. But but it is cool. (laughs) So did somebody nominate you? What prompted you to run or uh, what is the campaign process for this highly coveted unpaying position <laughs> well i had this they might, no, 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 people might not know that that this is no it's an, yeah it's an unpaid position um you know the interesting thing is that there are so many people who would like to theoretically be more involved with their union but they think that they don't have the time or they don't have the connections to run for president of the union all you need is a, a you know, a signature page and to get 17 members in good standing to sign your petition to run. And then you can be president of the union. So there's a fairly low bar for entry in terms of just getting involved. Now, not everybody wants to start at president and neither did I. I started out um, as a committee member and then ran for the council, served on the council for a year and then ran for Eastern Regional Vice President and did that for three years. And then I stepped away from it because I was considering doing some producing and in fact did a tiny little bit not for me, by the way. Long story short, <laughs> not my jam. Um, and 
you know, that came and went, and there's a certain period of time that you can't be an elected official if you're also functioning as any kind of employer, right, which makes mm-hmm. sense. And, um, and so once that went away, I just thought it felt like the right moment in my life to give it a shot. It, it seems to me that there's a lot that equity does really well, and there are some things that um, we all want to look at in terms of doing better and expanding the reach of the union, but also making our tent one that our members really want to be in because it's so easy to be transient, you know, and and I'm sure, you know, we're in this beautiful room at the Dramatist Guild and I have a feeling that it's similar. You know, there's so much time you can spend sitting at your house on your laptop and feeling disconnected. Or if you're an actor and you're not working, you don't really feel like part of the community. And then once the show is over the community, that community kind of disbands. But equity is actually a community that all of us are part of all the time. And um, the decisions that we make in that building, uh, all of us who are working actors and stage managers, affect our members, including me, every time we walk into our rehearsal room. So to me, that's a pretty compelling reason to be involved. How much input, how much say do you have as president to try to move forward and push through, you know, the the biggest thing that I feel like equity has been a little slow to react on, I think they're good, and I think we absolutely do need protections, you know, mm-hmm. for our actors. But the past uh, 15 years has brought a lot of, you know, digital disruption and different ways people promote and get their face mm-hmm. out there that, and I don't think it's necessarily just equity's problem. I think any large organization has, yeah. uh, has a hard time moving fast. Mm-hmm. And equity's certainly not the only one who's had a hard time adapting to the, changing landscape right but how much say do you have in trying to pick issues and pick agendas and and what ideas you hope because one thing i think that's really amazing about you taking on is as an actress i know you've experienced all sides the, right. I mean, the two shows i interviewed you on were at opposite spectrums i interviewed you when you were one of the leads in uh, legally blonde on broadway <laughs> mm-hmm. and then when you were doing a little nymph show sympathy yeah. jones which has since gone oh on to get licensed in a bunch of places so I know you've worked on both sides of the equation and, and know the issues the actors are facing right. on each side. Mm-hmm. So how much input do you get? As A lot. Um, the thing that I think is important to remember is that the president is not a decision maker. The council, which is 83 members, including officers, is the actual decision making body. So anything that I think is a good idea, anything that a committee decides to work on, that all goes to the council and gets discussed in varying depths because the council is not supposed to do the work of committees or, you know, get something that comes into council for approval and then just start tearing it apart unless there's a real problem, in which case uh, there is a mechanism for people to be able to ask questions. But in terms of determining what we are going to be able to do as a body or the things that should or can be priorities, uh, I'm definitely a part of that conversation and have the opportunity to drive the conversation uh, fairly often. Regarding the digital stuff, you know, that that's actually been on my mind quite a bit because I think, and I asked the council to give it some thought um, two council meetings ago, and, and then at a certain point, it's a much bigger conversation than we can mm-hmm. have in the council room during a regular meeting where we have to do business. I can imagine the eruption, the arguments would yeah. be like, all you know, yeah. fill up more than the meeting. Well, sure, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's also something that really is going to take some time, like at a plenary or some kind of retreat or something, so that we can dedicate a serious chunk of time. And the reason for that is because I believe that so many of our business models are limited by how difficult it is for our employers to put different kinds of content out in the world. Now, on the larger contracts, like the production contract and the LORT contract, um, there is a media fee, which is a small percentage that allows them expanded usage of the capture uh, of the footage that they capture, and it actually allows them to capture more. But as far as I'm concerned, we're not just protecting live theater as live theater if we make it so expensive that no one can ever stream a Broadway show, for example, unless you're a huge hit and just printing money and then you can do whatever you want. But what we're going to have to come to terms with, because I think that you know our council will need to and certainly our membership will need to, is how we preserve the fundamental tenet of what live theater is, which is a live ephemeral in the room experience between the actors and the audience. And we have to be careful that whatever we do doesn't just fritter that away because then it might as well just be TV and film. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's really exciting to me to think of um, 
new models for filming shows and Legally Blonde was actually an interesting example. Yeah, they right? did that in MTV. Right? Yeah, and MTV knew how to film it for their audience. So we had a couple rehearsals where there were it was dress rehearsals with cameras on stage and then we had the actual filming, but they, they edited it together. It wasn't all from that live filming. Um, to me, filming live theater should be, you know, the, the, the model with two stationary cameras at the back of the house yeah. just isn't the thing that I think works best um, at this point with all of the different types of entertainment that are available. I'd love to see Broadway shows filmed like an NFL game, you know, because then you, you make people feel like they're actually involved in the experience. Now, how many, you know, months or years away is that? I don't know. Uh, but it's definitely a priority because, you know, over and over again, <laughs> I mean, for example, um, in 1953, Three, the Miss America organization, I know this because I wrote, <laughs> wrote a book about it last year, the Miss America organization got right up to the brink and then they decided not to sign a television contract because they were afraid that nobody would come to see the live pageant competition if they could stay home and watch it on TV. And in 1954, they got over that and they made a deal and it became one of the top five shows of the year for years and years and years. And over and over, I mean, that's a conversation that's as literally as old as television. Um, the worry that people won't show up for the live experience if they can get it at home. But over and over again, whether it's musicians, concerts, even Legally Blonde, although we closed on Broadway, mm -hmm. I think a lot of that was because our audience, our target audience was pretty young. They couldn't necessarily get their families to take a trip for spring break to New York City. But You're when also the tour, in a very big house, well, one yeah, of the largest. Sure, but when oh. the tour of the show yeah. came to Detroit, they could get their parents to take them there. Um, so I, you know, I, I understand that there are a lot of forces at work, but until we can expand the availability of live theater, I think it will always be uh, an art form that's sort of uh, having to be very careful about resources and you know how things are spent and budgets and you know. We're going to be right back with more with Kate Schindel. And be sure you also check out the full-length interview uh, uncut on her feed if this intrigues you. We've got just over an hour of her talking really candidly. If you are a regular listener, or if you have just discovered Broadway Bullet, I have just set up a Patreon page. Please support our program by pledging a dollar amount for each podcast episode. I'm not going to make anything from these donations. All donations will go to expenses in producing the program, and providing flexible, part-time jobs to theater students for helping with the editing, follow-up, and more. Visit patreon.com slash broadwaybullet to contribute, or just click the link on our main webpage. Thanks in advance for your support in creating quality theater podcast programming. One resource, and I actually never took advantage of it while I was living in New York, but actually the past couple summers I have, you know, for my own research, mm -hmm. you know, educational, is... The film library at the yeah. Lincoln Center. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be awesome if that weren't... So, I mean, I understand there needs to be some research, but it's so closed door. Mm -hmm. And it's such a treasure trove of theatrical history. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there any way... I mean, there's so many shows, and I mean, back contracts, and I imagine it's probably impossible. But is there any way of opening up those archives a little bit more? So maybe somebody in, you know, Ohio, who's a theater teacher, can, you know, somehow access and see some of this history or share it with, you know, well, students. and It would be great. I mean, the, the tricky thing is, first of all, it's probably a question for Lincoln Center, yeah. and it's certainly a big rights conversation. Yeah. Like, for example, the Legally Blonde telecast, which was for, filmed for commercial use, has such a strict... Um, has such strict fences around how many times it could air that if it were... If anybody wanted it to re-air, I think it... It would have had to be the producing team, MTV, and Equity all coming back to the table to make a new deal. Um, so, I mean, when we t when I talk about let's make our shows available, let's mm -hmm. make our work available on a broader scale, it's got to be an industry conversation mm -hmm. because we're certainly not the only union involved. Um, this yeah. would have to involve the Dramatist Guild and it would have to involve, you know, licensing and it would, it, the other unions. And so it's a big, fat, complex issue. But ultimately, you know, as if people want it, it would be great. The tricky thing is mm -hmm. that 
a couple of bad apples make everybody paranoid about what that footage would be used for if it were just released mm -hmm. far and wide. And there has been sort of, um, let's say, loving recreation of original yeah. show elements yeah. that really is not something that is easy to swallow uh, when people are allowed to go and watch it, which I think is why Lincoln yeah. Center is so strict. Like you can't sit there taking yeah. blocking notes, mm -hmm. you know. Um, were you involved in the discussion? I'm, I'm maybe guessing or, or familiar with the discussion. I know that just a couple of days ago uh, that Daddy Longlegs off Broadway yeah. just did its first, supposedly the first live stream mm -hmm. uh, thing. Um, that was a smaller production. Right. How complex was, do you know how complex getting that worked out to do with such a small production was? I actually don't think it was probably that complicated. We have a, we have a media and, you know, it used to be called taping and filming, but now nobody really uses tape or film. So uh, we have a committee and, uh, you know, a dedicated staff person who do their best trying to adapt and customize agreements to projects that want to do that kind of thing. I don't know the details of it, but it's funny. We got, mm -hmm. I mean, if you look on your Facebook feed, if you're me and you look on your Facebook feed, you see all kinds of conversations about, well, does equity know about this? And like, Yes, I'm, I'm sure that we knew about it. But then also, if you read Ken Davenport's column talking about leading yeah. up to that and why he decided to do it, he said that the Broadway model or a larger show would have been too expensive. So he opted to do it with this smaller show off Broadway with two characters, which he could afford. So if he's paying someone, yeah, it's it's a fair assumption that, yes, the union is on it. Um, so I, you know, I think that one of the things that is very easy, very tempting for a lot of people is to get elected to an office and feel like you have to micromanage staff. And I think that that creates a lot of tension for, for a lot of reasons. And most of them are really good. So when something like that comes up, you know, I just, we, last time I sat down with the executive director, we talked about other things, but I could find out really anytime, um, what those details were. It's just a matter of, you know, how much of it I could actually share, because there is some kind of <laughs> implied yeah. confidentiality, I yeah. think. Um, kind of along these lines, I have, I have a question, and I, and I really don't mean to be accusatory with this, but, but with all the various... <laughs> Uh-oh. And I don't, think, I don't think it'll come out, because okay. it, it is a fair question. Yeah. With all the issues that have come about recently with, you know, the small contracts and, mm -hmm. you know, and the, you know, showcase productions, my question is, is anybody truly, really profiting taking advantage of people out of these models and well, it's just my perspective is that there's so little money in these small projects anyway mm -hmm. that i don't i mean i think people should get paid and there should be contracts but i feel like at that level most people are, are going hey look at me right. i want attention where it's not necessarily a, a burden to ask the actor to do a little extra promo right you know but that the actor's doing that show to try to get noticed and get seen. Right. And but my question is honestly, are there people that are taking advantage of that to the other side where well, it's hard to hard to really define that. Do I think that anyone's getting rich for example mm. on 99th Theater, yeah. theater or producing showcases? No. Um I I think that I was not involved in the original council conversation about this. It was before I was yeah. elected. But, and I'm not even specifically talking no, about so, the L.A. kerfuffle. Well, I don't I want mean, to attribute it. But I would say that what the council is looking at is in that situation, for example. And what I think that they were paying attention to is that, yes, everybody wants to get paid. Um, everyone thinks it would be great for actors to be paid working. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing yeah. that I think really we all have in common. There are some who say but we want to be able to volunteer when we choose to. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you could find anybody who says, no, absolutely. If there was a way for everyone to get paid, I would not take it because yeah. it would corrupt my art. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's rare. But um, yeah. I think the bigger concern is that one of the reasons that showcase in New York, in my opinion, is less of a problem is because there are so many different levels of contracts and there are so many performing opportunities available here. You've got everything from Broadway to NIMP, for example, yeah. to auditioning for national tours or regional shows. Um, you have off-Broadway. I mean, I, we could make a list, but yeah. there's a lot. In Los Angeles, I think that one of the observations and concerns is that they're really, at this point, is very, very little, aside from a couple of mid-sized theaters and a couple of large institutional theaters. And then this other thing, which 
seems to have become a business model that is impossible to compete with. So those actors, from what I understand, those actors who said, hey, we want to get paid, um, we want to be able to make a living doing this and not just not just do it in our free time for the exposure. Um, but we actually don't think that there's any way a real commercial or nonprofit theater can even get started here because they have this business model that, that has grown into almost the only game in town. Now, I know there are a lot of actors who really enjoy it. Enjoy it. I did a 99-seat show when I was... <laughs> I went to Los Angeles right after a breakup for the pilot season after 9-11, which is like the trifecta of misery, right? <laughs> and um, I felt like the only thing that saved my sanity was doing this small production of First Lady Suite at the Blank Theater. Um, and so the last thing on my mind was getting paid for it. Um, and, that, and that's kind of where the balance, like I do understand actors should get paid and there should be models, but at the same time, we are artists. We are. And there are times we just want to work. Absolutely. You know, and, I mean, and, and is there a way to balance that? And I know it's hard within an organization. The, the gray area becomes a real fuzzy line on either side and right. you start making exceptions and I, I, I get that. You know, and then it snowballs into another one until you're in a mess. Right. <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, and there are also, there were... You know, and this I really can't talk about, yeah. but um, legal concerns mm -hmm. about uh, what possible problems there could be for the union for having sanctioned this, you mm -hmm. know, um, and those, you know, I think there are varying degrees of risk, but I, you know, I, I think that that was on the council's mind. Um, you know, it's funny because it, when you try to compare the actors to the musicians union, for example. The tricky thing about us is that what we do is generally our, especially in smaller theaters, actually, it's our passion. You know, it's not just a job, even if you are getting a salary, it's like what your soul needs to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know too many pit musicians who feel that way. I feel yeah. like a lot of them play in their pit um, and they sub out and then they go play with their passion project yeah. with their band or they may go make their money doing an industrial or whatever. So there's, so there's a sort of a, a sort of an emotional distance from it that I think it's harder for actors to have. But again, you know, this is one of the things that I've been thinking about lately. So many of those small theaters are places where actors want to get seen. But even before mm -hmm. council made that decision in April, people were saying, well, but casting directors don't come anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and they'll say, well, it's because of traffic. And it may be because of traffic. Traffic in L.A. is terrible. But it's also because there are a lot of casting directors sitting in their offices and looking at YouTube. And we're not there. I mean, if you, you can find me on YouTube, but it's all illegal footage. And so until we can allow, in some way, these small theaters who are trying to build subscribers, who are trying to get people interested in live theater to have some kind of reach outside of the, you know, passive experience of saying, well, we're doing a show, hey, come see it. And it requires the audience member to buy a ticket based on very little information. Um, I think that it'll continue to be tricky, but I do think that there are amazing ways in which we can open up some of those models and the opportunities contained within them by reconsidering how much how much we can take down the wall between live performance and, for example, internet content mm -hmm. without stepping on SAG-AFTRA, which is a yeah. whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. but, uh. Listening Room. Last year, the songwriting team of Michael Kuman and Christopher Diamond released Out of My Head, a collection of uh, their theater-oriented songs with lots of famous people singing them. Uh, they're really up and coming. Michael Kuman on music, Christopher Diamond on book and lyrics, received the 2013 Fred Ebb Award, a 2010 Jonathan Larson grant, and are the first recipients of the Lorenz Hart Award. Between them, they have received the Burton Lane Award, the Harold Adamson Award, the KCACTF Musical Theater Award, an NYFA Fellowship, and numerous ASCAP Plus Awards. So, uh, we're going to play a couple songs from their album, Out of My Head. This first one is sung by Christopher Sieber, and it is called To Excess. Hey there, Claire. Hey. 
Hiya. Hi. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> I can see that. But it's not what it looks like. Could you put the bat down? No? Please hold on. I'll explain. I will show you that I'm not insane. Listen, Claire, and you'll see we are destiny. Claire, I need you around me. That's why I broke in your place. That's why you came home and found me with your panties pressed to my face. Cause Claire, you may not recall the day that we met, but it's a day I'll never forget. The stop and shop produce aisle, I got all wrapped up in your smile. And then I bumped right into your leg with my cart. And that bump started a song in my heart You turned and said, what the hell? And well, Claire, that's the moment I fell If it's a crime to follow a girl all the way home And memorize her address Then I guess I am guilty Of loving you to excess not be in very good shape, but I can climb a fire escape, and I don't even mind that you shut your living room blind, cause Claire, I bought a real nice camera with Zoom, found me a tree with a view of your room, and Claire Bear, it makes me weep that you look so cute when you sleep. Some pictures of a girl in various states of undress Then I guess I am guilty of loving you to excess I see you eyeing up that window there, but Claire, let me speak I'm not some psycho like that guy you took to Chili's last week He didn't even try to open up the door for you as you left the bar And so I hit that asshole with my car And Claire... I am a sweet and amorous guy I carved your name into my left thigh I wrote you a love haiku Out of all the blood that I drew And Claire, I stole a mannequin from the mall Made me my very own Claire Bear doll But she stares at other guys So I gave her two black if it's a crime to take a doll into a restroom And make a little bit of a mess Then I guess I am guilty Of loving you to excess So Claire, just take my hand and please be my spouse We'll live in a bunker I built neath my house We'll spoon in the candlelight And I'll sniff your feet every night And Claire, on Sundays I'll unlock you from your chain We'll have a nice dinner, we'll sip champagne We'll make sweet love all night long girl's grandmother hostage until she agrees to say yes then I guess I am guilty I confess I am guilty like sentenced to life guilty of loving That is Christopher Sieber singing Michael Kuman and Christopher Diamond's song, To Excess. 
Get that on the CD, Out of My Head, available on iTunes and all sorts of other great realtors. Also find out more at kumananddiamond.com. Up Close. I am here with Patrick Noonan, who is in Off-Broadway's brand new production of Sheer Madness, playing at New World Stages. And while this show is brand new to New York, uh, the show is, should be familiar to many in other areas. I know it's Chicago's longest-running production ever, I think. I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's that's the second-longest-running non-musical, I think, think the, the, the Chicago run. Okay. And the third-longest-running is the Kennedy Center run in D.C., so, like, I think it's uh, Guinness Book of World Records over three times longest running non musical in America. <laughs> so, and and I understand, Patrick, that you've done a few of these, a few, you know, <laughs> g- give or take three thousand somewhere on there. Um, yeah, I've been doing sheer madness off and on since nineteen ninety eight, and um, what what a great a great gig it has been. You know, um, more more off than on, but um, yes, yeah, since nineteen ninety eight, I lost count, but it's about three thousand performances. Wow! Yeah, yeah, and and counting. Uh, yeah. I'll hopefully continue to count because uh, it's it's um it's now in New York, and I'm so glad it's in New York. So you know, th- there's a lot of stuff we can give away, and a lot of stuff we mm. don't want to give away because it spoils the fun. Absolutely for the audience. But w- what do you tell people when you when you say you got to come see Sheer Madness? Oh, um, I just tell them that it's 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 just a whole lot of fun. You know, it's uh, it's a comedy. It's a farce. It's uh. It's, it's just a lot of fun. You, you're going to go and you're going to laugh for two hours. If you don't want to laugh, don't come to Sheer Madness. <laughs> if you want to go see high art, don't, don't come to Sheer Madness. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you, won't, you won't walk out of the theater a better person because it's not, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all of the artistic expression, but you will walk out in a better mood. And that's, that's the point of, of Sheer Madness. And we, we, we need to laugh. And, and Sheer Madness provides that. You know, not every off-Broadway play has to be about Iraq, you know. I mean, yeah. we, 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 we need some venue to, to just sit and laugh and have a good time for two hours and forget about your problems. So this started in Chicago. I believe it started in, actually, way back in the late 70s in Lake George Dinner Theater. Um, it, it, it premiered. And, okay. Um, I think it was 79, 1979 with Bruce Jordan and Marilyn Abrams. They are, they are the uh, co-founders and owners of Sheer Madness. And then it, it premiered in 1980 in Boston, and it's been running there ever okay. since. On Now it's called Sheer Madness Alley. They named okay. the street after it. Wow. Yeah. So quite a history to this show. Absolutely. And um, where are you based out of normally as well, an actor? Well, um, I'm in transit. Right now I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, been through, three, I've been in Rochester, New York for three years. Really odd place for an actor to be. Um, really, I, it's very odd for an actor to be. <laughs> well, I, I was in New York for the better part of eighteen years, um, working. Uh, you know, it's weird to 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 work other places outside of New York. You have to move to New York to work other places as an yeah. actor. It's really bizarre. But I was doing a play up in Rochester, New York, in <clears throat> oh, I think in two thousand twelve. And I met a girl and um, fell in love. So I moved up there, uh, got married. And I figured at that point in my career, I need I made enough um, connections up and on the East Coast, especially that I wouldn't need to stay in New York. Um, and it worked well for, for three years. But now New York is calling me back. So we're, we're getting ready to move back down. So how many different places have you done? Sheer madness. Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing off the top of my head, about four or five. There's, there's, uh, um, there's Milwaukee twice. My hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, twice. Um, mostly it's been in D.C. At, at the Kennedy Center, but I've done it in Albany, Seattle, um, and now New York. So how many is that? Four, five? I can't. Count. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, um, w- one thing I really appreciate about the show is, um. I actually didn't realize it was a murder mystery going in. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Um, I, I knew it was a longest range show. I heard a uh-huh. lot about it. I knew it was uh-huh. a comedy. but uh-huh. And ordinarily, I have to say I'm a bit of a snob. Oh, murder mystery interactive. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, wait, but, wait. you know, this. I, I think this maybe this show is the reason why so many people want to do 
murder mystery interactive. Sure. And they just don't do it or write it that well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and you know that that's 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 the trap of of uh, people coming into the show. They they hear the words interactive and they're like, yeah. oh man, no, I don't want to be brought up on stage. It's really not that interactive. You're you're only going to be a part of the show if you want to be. We don't make people be a part of the show. Uh, it just it so happens that that the formula of the show, uh, people want to interact. Mm-hmm. So it's only if you want to. It's not we're not going to, you know, uh, it's not like uh, moving chance or moving chance or whatever it is. Yeah. We're, we're not going to bring you up on stage and do all sorts of crazy things with you. No, it's only if you want to participate. So it's really not interactive that much. How much? How much of the show is truly scripted and how much is improvisational or happens on the spot? It depends on the night. Yeah. It really depends on the night. I'm going to say a lot of it is improv. Um, you never know what the audience is going to give. Uh, and therefore, every performance is different. Every performance is different. And that, that, that's, that's the magic of Sheer Madness. When, when you know, I, I'm not going to spoil it. At a, at a certain time, the lights come up and I invite the audience in, into the crime. And I give them instructions. Uh, you can, you know, give me a shout, give me a holler, whatever you want to do. Uh, get my attention to it. You, you know the drill. If you see something, say something. That that's something yeah. that very New Yorkish that we put in there. Um, and you never know what they're going to bring. You never know what they're going to say. And it's it's fun to uh, to work with that. Very fun. Because I, 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 it seems like you guys, the it's a six person show, and you guys seem to have a really great camaraderie with each mm-hmm. other. And what, one thing that I appreciate um, is it truly seems like you guys are just having a ball with each other. We are. It doesn't seem like it's a job yet. No, no, no. <laughs> and, and and every time it, yeah, I was a bellman for, for many years, you know, trying to uh, pay my dues here in New York. And every time I think, oh, no, I have to do another show, I think, you know what, it's better than schlepping bags. Much better than schlepping bags, much better than waiting tables. And this, this is, it really is a fun job. And the, the camaraderie of, of, the, um, of the cast is something really special. Bruce Jordan, who is, uh, you know, one of the owners, in, and I think you're interviewing yeah, him yeah, next. Right after yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is, oh, you'll have a ball with him. He's a great guy. He's tons of laughs. But he is very careful about who he casts in the play. We all have to be a team player. There can't be any one attitude. If, if there's an attitude, if there's a, there's a um, you know a, a bad apple in the bunch, it affects the whole the, the the whole show. We have to get along really well backstage, and therefore it it translates to what we do on stage. Just having a ball, and you know you you mentioned six characters, and it mm-hmm. is six characters, but yeah. we always say that the audience is the seventh character. They just don't know their lines, <laughs> so we we have to we have to. Uh, in a way, we and we do. We we have to train them when to come in and what to say. Um, that that doesn't always work because they they scream out whatever they want anyway. But <laughs> to a certain degree, they 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 know when to come in and what to say. Well, one thing I know, and, and I actually felt there's a bit of a difference here, and and especially with you having done three thousand or so performances, <laughs> uh, I'm curious. Um, like with Second City, I know mm-hmm. that. Even their improv shows, a lot of times, can get to be pretty pat. They get used to, the, yep, somebody in the audience is going to holler out this. Mm. So, you know, it may feel like improv, but they know. They've got, they've got their whole shtick routine yeah. worked out for this holler out, and yeah. they've got that. And it seemed like there was a little bit of that going on, but it also seemed like you guys were constantly looking still for something new. Or And I was going to say, after 3,000 performances, how often do you truly get surprised with an audience member throwing out something that you haven't heard all the time, all the mm-hmm. time. It, it, especially here in New York, because New Yorkers are not afraid to, to, <laughs> to speak their mind. <laughs> and there's, there are a lot of loud New Yorkers here. And I just had one yesterday, a really, really loud vocal, uh, um, guy who just wanted to be heard, needed to be heard. Mm-hmm. And it was evident. So I, I had to deal with that. And, uh, a lot of times when, when, when it's a funny character, you know, in, in the audience, um, we, we let them have their say and really that's just what they want to do. They, they, they may not want to, uh, have their, their question or, 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 or response addressed. All they want to do is be heard sometimes. And, um, so that guy, I just let him be heard and then I, I shut him up with a quip and then, then that was it. And we, we, we moved on. <laughs> <laughs> and part of why I was asking how much is, is improv each night is there are a couple times and in a very fun, charming way, almost Saturday night live ish. You guys were like. There, there was one moment the night I saw it that you were trying oh God. so hard not to laugh at what 
at what one of the actors did. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we always say if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. But that that that's not true. It, it's um. Uh, Things things happen every night, and, and it's it's fun because we we have that room to crack each other up, uh, and and the audience loves it, and and it brings it brings them in more to the play. It's 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 more engaging, and um, it's it's really a nice collective. And when when they're in on the joke with us, man, that's can't get can't get any better than that. It's 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 a fantastic feeling. I have a good job. I'm a lucky lucky man. <laughs> So um, you three thousand performances. Have have, mm. have you always been Nick O'Brien or have? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I want to play Eddie Lawrence so bad because he is such a well. You, you know, you've seen yeah. it. He's he is the easiest role, Jeremy. If you're hearing this, sorry, buddy. He's the easiest role because he, he, he all he does is he gets to be a jerk to the audience yeah. and they love him for it. And then he's he sits down and <laughs> and and, and uh, you know there there's it's not a huge part but it it is a big part. It seems a big part because. Um, He's so fun. He's a guy you, you love to hate. He just can be a jerk to the audience. Um, so I wanted to play that role. I played Mikey, the the other cop, for like a week when I first got got here. I covered for a guy, but um, yeah, I was played Nick O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I, I that's a fun role. role. You, you're kind of the ringleader of the I whole am, thing, and yeah. so I am. It, 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 it's a big job, which is why sometimes I just want to sit back and and play Mikey for a day. You know, <laughs> just just sit back and write notes and and. Uh, watch everyone else work, work their butt off <laughs> for a change. <laughs> so um, with all this improv, how many of the cast um, have like a, a deep improv background? Good question. I know um, that the guy playing Tony, his name is uh, Jordan Onquist. I know he has God, been, he is hysterical. He is. He's <laughs> really good too. And, and you know, what, what, a, what a prince on stage and off, just, just a prince of a guy. Um, I think, I know he's been, playing Tony for about six years in Boston off okay. and on. But I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know who has a uh, comic experience. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, can't answer that. How do you rehearse a show with such audience interaction? Like, it's been a while for you since you were new in it. Yeah. How many of the cast members are new to Sheer Madness? Uh, except Jordan and I, all of them. So four, the four other actors are brand new to Sheer Madness. Um, and that's that's really good because it adds it adds an, an element of excitement um, that you know if we were all veterans we we might be a little more lackadaisical and that might that might show on stage but there there's an energy and there's a newness about something so fresh as a new cast, um, so uh, I'm getting off track. What, what, no. what was what was your oh, question? I said, <laughs> uh, how do you rehearse? Oh yeah, how do you yeah, rehearse, yeah, yeah. When, rehearse when, when the audience is so much a part of the show? Um, you you rehearse for for a little bit, uh, you know, well, like three weeks as much as you can. Mm. Uh, Bruce Jordan, the one person in the audience, as we're uh, as we're rehearsing, he pretends he's like all these characters going, no, no, he didn't go that yeah. way, he went that way, no, <laughs> and um. So we do that for about three weeks, but really the real rehearsals is when the audience shows up and then the real rehearsals begin because you never, again, you never know what they're going to say. They're the seventh character who doesn't know their lines. So, um, yeah, when the audience shows up, then the real rehearsal starts. And so thank God we had three weeks of previews before we opened because that was part of the rehearsal process. So, um, any other parting shots you'd like to get up before we, we wrap up? About no, um, well, this, this is fun. Um, no, just uh, who's ever listening, come see Sheer Madness. You're going to really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. That's it. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming thank down, you. Patrick Noonan. Uh, been a, a wonderful experience and being so honest about the good times and the bad. And the and bad, of The course. facts of life. <laughs> da, 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 da. The facts of life. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mrs. Garrett and her cleavage. All right. We'll break a leg tonight. All right. Thanks. <laughs> In the best of company. All right, I'm sitting here with Matt Oaken of Black Box Studios, and they have just acquired a brand new space in Teaneck, New Jersey, Black Box Performing Arts Center. And uh, Matt Oaken's here to talk about all of the travails that are involved in getting a brand new theater space in uh, the metro area here. How are you doing? Uh, fantastic. I'll try to keep it positive. But, but <laughs> no, I, no. We, 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 <laughs> I mean, like I said, well, that's we, we want all the honesty. The, hard, the hard times, the good times. Yeah. What, what are people into if they're looking at this? That's that's right. Well, I guess before we get into the, the big ins and outs of getting the space, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of your company and your mission and such? Sure. 
So Black Box Studios is only about eight, eight and a half years old. We started purely as an educational theater company uh, and quickly sort of grew to have a, a semi-pro and pro performance arm, non-union, and started doing shows around the Teaneck, Bergen County area, which people think is far, but it's really not. It's right across the bridge from New York City. So some of our actors have always traveled from there, and some of our students have always traveled from the city to Jersey. We st we have mostly Jersey people, but it's, it's it goes both ways. So we're, we're we're across the bridge and not. And and Black Box was for me Black Box Studios was an outgrowth of an entertainment company that I ran primarily in New York for about ten years that focused primarily in a little bit of a niche market. We did cutting edge Jewish theater. For ten years, and once I sort is of, that an oxymoron? <laughs> I, was I was hoping you would say that. So we thought what's, it was what's cutting edge Jewish theater. We thought theater? it was, but it wasn't. It's it was it was Jewish theater that sort of brought up issues in the in the in the in the Jewish culture that weren't normally dealt with in theater. It wasn't sugar coated Jewish theater. Okay. So from that. Uh, after I sort of got, I don't know, would you say beaten down or too many parking tickets, one or the other, I, just, <laughs> I, was, I was sort of lured into educational theater by surprise, and from that grew this company. And uh, so for, for eight years, we're, we're doing performing arts education, uh, starting to do productions that sort of grow out of that with, with pros, and then uh, very, very recently, finally get our own space. That's the short version. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're definitely yeah. going to get into the long version. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever you need. So first off, your new space. I'm taking it to sure. Proscenium Theater. It is a. <laughs> <laughs> is it a thrust? It is. It is. It is a legit black box. <laughs> it, is, it is the as far as we can see. We've looked around Jersey. It seems to be the only actual black box that exists in that area. We think. When we, I mean, we even sort of measured the, the, the dimension. It's like, it's not a rectangle. It's like a box. <laughs> and, uh, but it's a nice box painted black with a little color to, you know, liven some things up so people don't get too depressed. Do a lot but, of people go humming the Rolling Stones song? <sighs> I see a painted room and I want to paint it up. They should. They did. <laughs> They've done some stranger things than that. They've, they've hummed a few weird things. Most of them come in and they're like, where's the stage? And I'm like, it's a black box. But, you know, we, 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 we're, we're, it's, it's educational. We're teaching. We're teaching how that all works. I've kind of worked in black boxes since. Do people in Teaneck not know what a black box is? <laughs> they know. <laughs> what, they don't, what, they don't know what they don't really know is they don't really see the the... The configurations and the diversity of what we can do in there. If the, if they come in and the seats are set up a certain way, for the most part, the audience and even some even some of the younger students, they'll be like, "Oh, there's the stage." I'll be like, "Well, yeah, there's the stage for this show, but that's not the stage for tomorrow night show." Do you, so, so do you do shows in rep there? Or? Yeah, a student. A lot of student shows in rep, and if we're doing a pro show, it will be in rep probably with a student show. And now it's about to be, uh, these things are about to be in rep with our first children's theater show as well, which we're <laughs> dabbling in. All right, so how long did it take you from, from your deciding you wanted to get your own space or needed to get your own space, so whichever the case was, to uh, opening it? Well, how long was that it process? It was both need and want, and it took, it took re really a year and a half to find the right space. Uh, we knew just to find it, literally to find it, and to be approved by the township of Teaneck to open in in said space. We 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 were shown a number of other possible black boxes, and almost each one came with a ridiculous price range, or the town was it wasn't zoned for it, so they didn't want that in that section or in that block of the town. And there's, there's theater brings in the wrong element, right? But this—that's <laughs> exactly right. But there, there's stuff going on in Tianak. I mean, we're we're directly across from a pretty well-known rock club called Mexicali Live that's been there for years. So our area where we are is sort of a little bit the culture area. Well, it's now the culture area of Tianak. 
Absolutely. How, how big is the culture area of Teaneck? Well, there's a few blocks. <laughs> there's 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 this there's this nice rock club that I you know I would frequent once in a while. Uh, there's some restaurants, and then there's the Black Box Performing Arts Center. So then, once uh, you found the space, yeah, what what then was all involved in in converting the space, opening it? I mean, was the space ready to go? No, no, no. the space was <laughs> the space was where they built beautiful custom made furniture. So they would build the furniture in what is now the black box, and then in what's about to be our dressing room, they would polish it up. So it's uh, about to be your dressing room. The dressing are people room's... like changing outside? No, right now, the dressing or... room is just storing a lot of things right now, <laughs> and no, no one's no one's gotten a change yet. No, it's just not mm-hmm. happening. They're doing it in their cars, but the the dressing room was covered in um, I think it's like glue or spray of something that makes furniture polish look polished up and nice that we had to chisel we had to do a little chiseling and we, <laughs> we chiseled the dressing room nice and clean and it's it's about ready to uh to open the first production is really um early january everything that's been going on there now has been rehearsals classes workshop and special events that no dressing room was needed for luckily so how long have you been in the space now seven weeks seven weeks yeah, yeah. So real. seven weeks right brand spanking new. right so it was it was just covered in sawdust it had to be cleaned out painted some walls broken down a few things like that a nice new door put in how much did you have to fundraise to well to get into the space significant we most of it was was from a couple silent people that gave us uh in between grants and loans to get it to happen uh now they're now that it's open and people see the the possibilities we're we're back into that fundraising mode and uh we we will need uh we will need to keep that going to just make it easier <laughs> keep keep the fourteen hour days down to twelve. So, uh, did you have any of the the lighting gear, the sound gear, any of those things? Did you already we, have those? We've in? had we've had a little bit of everything, but we're working with the the vendors and the people that we worked with for these many years to sort of get this into an upgraded state. We we like the the first the first impression of this place is really important for how it's going to succeed. So we're we're really putting like pulling out all the connections we have to get get the right lighting, the right sound, really uh, the right the right seating risers that just got finished the other day that were designed by a, a professional that we worked with for a number of months up up in Jersey. So it's all like really is that his like title, professional seating riser designer. I, th- I think that this week it is. <laughs> this week it is, and then next week he'll be building uh, like sets for four shows in a wrap. Mm-hmm. And then the next week he's going to create the text booth, which is on top of I guess our heating system. It's like a space. I don't know. It's like <laughs> like up there. So he's going to he'll be the professional tech booth designer that day. He does whatever is needed. So okay. So from. Find me. So it took a year, a year and a half to find the spot. Right. And then you just opened seven weeks ago. How long was the period between finding the spot and then actually opening? Incredibly quick. Oh, okay. So, and we we're not really sure why. We're just very very thankful to the to the town because the any any business that opens in in these in, in a place like Teaneck, it could take a while for whatever reason. Even if this was obviously zoned for for this type of thing. We could have been a gym. We could have been a karate studio. What they would have let us in there? I could have been a karate studio. We could studio. have. Um, you know, who knows? I could have been raking in the dough. But if we have to rent <laughs> it out like nine to ten every morning to karate, we'll do that. But the uh, it was it was it was very very quick. So we our, our our landlord knew what we wanted to do and kind of was into this. Sort of wanted to be around it. So he helped us get the space up to snuff. For the for the fire inspection and all that stuff, and it was approved very very quickly. So the, the uh, silent partners aren't like mob based, are they? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, so you get it through real quick, and uh, we'll, maybe it's uh, the old Jewish theater mob. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's not. They're not. They're not. They might wish to be. That might make them more glamorous. So was there any point along the way of this process of uh, either acquiring a building and where things went wrong or you didn't think it was going to happen or you're like, this was the biggest mistake in the world? 
Not, not. There was never a time where it was the biggest mistake. We all, all of all these, all of my closest colleagues were ready for this to happen, and so are our students and our core, our core group of actors. We're all ready. But when we we first we first made the bid on this specific space before the summer, and sure enough, we got approved by the town and turned down by the landlord for a gym. <laughs> all all within a couple of days. So we went through the summer doing our normal uh, theatrical endeavors in rental spaces, wondering if we if this is even meant to be at this point because we had already played out negotiating so many spaces it didn't work out for one reason or the other. So right at the end of the summer, like really the best time you could think of, this 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 young uh, young fellow calls and says, "Jim didn't work out. Do you want it?" And we had already we knew we wanted it. We we knew that it was the right size, shape, location, feel for what we what we wanted to do. So that it was pretty quick after that. When when the when this amount of financing fell into place as well, luckily. So, so besides chiseling off all the goo, yeah. Um, what other? What it, <laughs> it reminds me of in my home in my hometown. Our community theater converted an old porn house yeah. into a. Into a theater. I've worked, but, uh, in, I've worked in those right here in this town. So that was a different case of chiseling off the goo. Yeah. But um, yeah. besides chiseling off the goo, what, what, what changes did you have to make to the space to make it work for a theater? Well, in this, this case, we had to suck the sawdust out of every crevice in the space, including the bathroom. This, it was covered in like literally one inch of sawdust. So that when How do they work in there? Do they like, oh, the sawdust doesn't matter. <laughs> that's exactly, that's, it was all about sawdust. <laughs> they embraced the sawdust. And uh, quite a bit of electrical work had to be sort of refined with plenty of electrical power because they were doing major power tools. So we're good for as many lights as we'll ever need. But all these wires were hanging everywhere where chainsaws, I guess, were attached or things like that. You know, <laughs> probably not that dramatic, but stuff like that. So it, it's and there was uh, there was a, a new door was needed. Uh, the landlord was into this with us. He's, he's this is all sounding like really, really minor stuff in the scheme minor, of things. It's minor. It's minor stuff. So how lucky was it's, that? It was, mean, oh, it was incredible because after after looking at so many wrong spaces and almost taking a couple of them, there were certain points during that year and a half we we were like we're just going to take this because we were we were a nomadic theater company. Meaning our students jumped from space to space. Our, our productions happened in space to space. One day we're running into the city and then having nowhere to meet back, ending up, you know, in random restaurants or bars, you know, not with the kids, but wherever. Um, and now, now it's, it's all very centralized and it's changed the vibe like immediately in a good way. Well, Matt Oaken, thanks so much for coming down Thank and you, talking Michael. about much appreciated the Black and, uh, Box Studio. Pleasure and an honor. Thank you very much. All right. Good luck with everything and let us know how it all goes. Absolutely. We will. Okay. All right. Listening Room. We've got one more song from you from Kuman and Diamond. This one also from their Out of My Head CD. The song is called Drift. And it's sung by Chris Mann. North Carolina girl She blows in on the ocean breeze All salt air and cigarettes Freckled and free She dances along the beach Drinking deep from a Jameson Deceptively delicate Strange as the sea We stroll through the sand Right where the sea meets land The waves roll in as the currents shift And I think maybe I should let go and drift I'm just a city boy All neurotic anxieties The world Gravity pulling me down mm-hmm. But caught in her undertow Falling under so soft and slow I sink deep into nothingness Happy to drown You sit in the sand Staring up hand in hand The stars float by and the current and I think maybe I could let 
on the lookout for more great things from Kuman and Diamond and uh, be sure to pick up their CD out of my head. All right. Curtain call. All right. We're actually over halfway through the season. Uh, means I'm already starting to get planning on <laughs> getting more interviews in New York. Um, we are always on the lookout for interns to help out. You get to meet a lot of great people. We're going to be doing our interviews weekdays this May from the 23rd through the 27th. Uh, so if you're interested in volunteering and helping out with that, um, being an associate producer, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've had some great people. We are also doing something new. We're going to be getting some video content to go along with the audio, and we're going to be putting these on the audio program too. But if you're a playwright or a composer, we are putting together two special performance nights to happen at the DG. Guild Fund office uh, and performance space. We're going to do a monologue night. We're looking for 10 playwrights, two monologues apiece, and we're going to do a composer showcase on Sunday the 29th in the afternoon. Now, that is Memorial Day weekend, uh, but you're going to get some good exposure. Um, you are required to get together your own uh, performers and rehearse them and such, but there is no fee to participate. Absolutely uh, none at all. We're just looking to expose some of the best playwrights and uh, composers out there. So if you're interested in possibly getting involved, again, on the monologue night on Friday the 27th of May or the Composer Showcase on the 29th, or you're interested in helping out with uh, interviews this uh, coming week, please let me know, uh, broadwaybulletnyc at gmail.com. All right. With that said, uh, be on the lookout. Our next episode, 706, is going to be coming out April 5th. Got a lot of great stuff. We've got Andrew Lippa going to be talking about his own career and composing and all that stuff. And um, Nick Cohn is uh, in Avenue Q celebrating. It's now been running as long off, off, or no, just off Broadway as it was running on Broadway. And Nick Cohn's going to talk about his role in that. And we've got Time Out New York critic Adam Feldman to talk about the state of criticism in a theater. Uh, fascinating interview. So I hope you'll all come back. Spread the word. Um, if you're a theater teacher, tell your students. If you're a student, tell your fellow students and your teacher. Uh, if you're just a fan, tell people. Um, our best word of mouth is you guys telling people to check out the program. So um, once again, thanks for tuning into Broadway Bullet. I am Michael Gilbo. I am the producer and the host for the program. Ronnie Jones was our associate producer for this season. So thanks to her. And again, one quick last shout out to our uh, great location sponsors, Sheer Manis, for letting us use their rehearsal space, and the Dramatist Guild Fund, of course, for uh, a fund, not fun, though yes, the Dramatist Guild is very fun for letting us use their space as well. Um, and again, remember, we got a great deal. If you uh, seat geek, download the app, put in BB20 for a code, and get $20 off. All right, we will see you soon. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. 
you'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.